Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Turn with me to Acts chapter 28, the last two verses. Acts chapter 28, final two verses. These are actually the last two verses in the book of Acts. Paul is in a halfway house prison. People are free to come and go. He's not free to come and go, but people are free to come and go, visit him. He talks with them about the gospel, the good news of Christ. Some folks accept it and some folks don't receive it. And here's what the final two verses of Acts, the book of Acts say. Chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I want you to pay attention to the last phrase, the last phrase of the book of Acts with all boldness and without hindrance. That last half of the last phrase, the two words without hindrance, in the Greek text of the New Testament, which is the the, uh, language in which the New Testament was originally written, the last word of the Greek text is translated with those two words, without hindrance. It is the Greek word, akaludos. It's an adverb. And it is very unusual in Greek language for that particular adverb to be the last word of the text of any Greek document. It's very unusual. And yet, here, Luke, who authored the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, ends up his entire book with this very unusual adverb. If we could invent a word, a single word, that this Greek word akaludos could be translated into, it would be unhinderedly. Unhinderedly. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and unhinderedly. And then the book stops. Very unusual ending. It's so unusual that some scholars believe that uh, there were other chapters to the book of Acts that got chopped off and are missing. Other scholars believe that Luke meant to write more, but something happened to him so that he was unable to write an additional amount of information to his book of Acts, and therefore what we have just ends right there. It's a strange thing, really, when you think about the way he ended this book. Unhinderedly. Paul proclaimed the gospel and taught Jesus Christ unhinderedly. The reason it's so unusual, besides the fact that that very few Greek texts in any literary form end with such an adverb, the other reason it's so unusual is when you look at the book of Acts, they were constantly faced with hindrances. 
The Apostle Paul even is here, although it's, a, it's not a, a, a regular jail cell, it is a halfway house. He is in prison awaiting trial. He's in this halfway house for two years. One could say that the fact that he was in this halfway house kind of prison was a hindrance to him. So what was Luke talking about? When he says they were without hindrance, when he says they, were, they went about unhinderedly, What does that mean? We know that Paul had all kinds of hindrances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes his own ministry. He says he he had multiple arrests, multiple persecutions. Several times he was beaten uh, with 39 lashes with a whip that had metal pieces in it. He had opponents. He had hardships. His ministry was one gigantic hardship after another. In fact, Satan seems to have taken a personal interest in hindering the work of Paul. And yet, at the end of Luke's book of Acts, Paul, in Roman custody, is proclaiming the gospel without hindrance, unhinderedly. I personally am of the belief that Luke finished his book here. I'm no scholar, and I could be wrong, but I believe that Luke finished his book here. I believe he meant for, in the Greek text, the word unhindered, akalutos, to be the last word, because he wanted that word to be the word people remembered when they read the book of Acts. Paul preached and taught, even though he was in prison, he did it unhinderedly. It didn't mean that he was that there was no potential hindrance facing Paul rather it meant that Paul's ministry and his perseverance went without concern for the hindrances he didn't let the hindrances hold him back from being what God wanted him to be and from doing what God had called him to do Paul's ministry And his perseverance are a fitting example of what I want to talk to you about today. And it is a single word. It is the word commitment. As I mentioned to the children, commitment is a stick-to-itiveness. Paul had a stick-to-itiveness. And that's the reason that even though he was in prison when the book of Acts closes, he is preaching and teaching without concern for the hindrances. He doesn't allow the hindrances, the obstacles, the challenges to obstruct his purpose. The purpose to which God called him. This is important, I believe, because commitment is a defining element in the New Testament church. And if commitment is a defining element in the New Testament church, then folks, Look up here. Commitment must be a defining element of the 21st century church. And commitment must be a defining element of Palmetto Baptist Church. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. And let's hold each other accountable right here. You must be committed. And so must I. This church nor any church will stand or certainly be effective unless we have commitment. The early church, the New Testament church, was defined by commitment. And that commitment propelled them forward 
in spite of potential hindrances. In Acts chapter 1, we find 120 disciples locked up. I mean, Katie bar the door, deadbolted several times, locked up in an upper room, and they had the, the uh, potential hindrance of fear, and they had to overcome that fear. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they're, the disciples are preaching, but they have several hundred thousand Jewish people from other parts of the world who don't speak the traditional Jewish language. They speak other languages, but the disciples only spoke Aramaic and Greek, maybe a little bit of Hebrew, but nobody there pretty much spoke Hebrew. And so what you have is the, the potential hindrance of a language barrier. You get to Acts chapter 6, and the church by this time is large, but they're still trying to operate like a small church. Listen, a small church, a, a, a church that is growing cannot continue to operate on a small church structure. You have to change or modify the church structure, the way the church operates. If a church that is growing continues to operate on a small church structure, it will ultimately plateau and decline. The church in Acts chapter 6 was operating like a small church, but it was a large church. And because it was operating like a small church in which pretty much the staff was expected to do all the ministry, the staff could not do all the ministry. There were people being neglected. And so there was the challenge of church structure and inadequate church structure. You go into Acts chapter 7 and 8 and you see persecution. There's the Apostle Paul who is the, the, uh, the Al-Qaeda terrorist chief who is a terrorist against the New Testament church. Later on he gets saved. But for the moment there is the, the, uh, the potential hindrance of church terrorism. And these kind of hindrances pop up throughout the book of Acts. And yet when we get to the end of the book of Acts, the gospel is continuing like an ever ready energizer bunny. It keeps on going and will not stop because it is going through the hindrances. It is operating without concern for the hindrances because the gospel is God's doing. But it takes commitment to do that. The New Testament church was defined by commitment. I find, not trying to be negative here, but just... Uh, Throwing out an observation, I find that in today's church, particularly in America, we have replaced commitment with consumerism. We have a checklist of things we're looking for in our church, and we go to that church, and rather than asking the church what we can do for the church, we go into the church with the attitude of what can this church do for me? And if that church falls short, which invariably most churches will, then we just up and we go to the next supermarket church down the road because we have not a commitment mentality, but a consumerism mentality. I heard the story about two city boys who'd grown up in the city, but they, as they got older and uh, into adult life, they got tired of the city life, and they decided to give up their city life and move to the country, buy a ranch down in South Georgia, buy a ranch and, and uh, go to farming. So they moved to South Georgia, and they found this big ranch, and they, they, they used the money they had sold their city places with and bought this big ranch down in South Georgia, and they decided that they needed a mule. 
what ranch could be a ranch without a mule? So they went down to a neighboring farmer and they went to him, knocked on his, his farmhouse. He came out and they asked him, he said, do you have a mule that you could sell us? And he said, no, I'm afraid I don't. And they kept talking and this old farmer realized that these two boys were city slickers. They weren't used to farming. And so they started to leave, the men did, the city slickers did, and they looked over by the old farmer's barn, and there, were, there were a stack, was a stack of honeydew melons. And they turned to the farmer, and they said, what are those things stacked up beside that barn over there? And the old farmer, realizing what he had here, decided to play a little joke on him. He says, those are mule eggs. And they said, well, we'd like to have one of those. Can we buy one from you? And he said, well, absolutely. Be glad to sell you one of my mule eggs. I've got plenty of them over there, as you can see. And so they paid him for a honeydew melon that they were convinced was a mule egg. And they put it in the back of their old truck. And they headed down an old bumpy dirt road. But the road was a little more bumpy than they anticipated. And all of a sudden, they hit one pretty bad pothole and the honeydew melon bounced out of the truck and onto the road and it just split right open and the two city slickers going down the road in their truck looked in the rearview mirror and they saw the honeydew melon which they thought was a mule egg pop out of the truck down on the road and open up and so they went down the road a piece and turned around and headed back well while they were turning around and headed back there was a big old texas style jackrabbit off to the side of the road And he saw the honeydew melon, and he decided to hop over to the honeydew melon and get him something to eat from the honeydew melon. Well, when the city slickers made it all the way back, they stopped their truck, they got out, and they saw this long-eared, big animal there in the middle of that honeydew melon. One of the city slickers says, our mule egg has hatched, and there's our mule, let's get him. And so they had lit out after him and the jackrabbit that they thought was a mule headed out and they ran and they ran and they ran and they chased and chased and chased and they finally gave out in the middle of the road after about an hour of chasing the rabbit without catching him. And they were laying on the, on the ground, on their stomachs in the middle of the dirt road and finally one of the guys props up on his, on his elbows and he says, you know, I guess we've lost our mule." And the other guy said, well, he said, that's all right. I don't think I ever wanted to plow that fast anyway. <laughs> Isn't that really the way it is? At, when, when it gets right down to brass tacks, we don't want to plow that fast anyway. We want the mule, but we don't, we want the mule and we want the ranch and we want the peace of the country, but we don't want the commitment that it would take to plow that fast. You see, the New Testament church was defined by commitment, and if it was defined by commitment, then ladies and gentlemen, you and I must be defined by commitment. Now that last word in Greek is akaloutos. It means without hindrance or unhinderedly. There's another word that is akin to this word. It's the word kaluo. It means hindrance, to be hindered. This is a big word in, in the Luke's writings. In fact, there are about six New Testament books that have this word one time each. The Gospel of Mark has it three times. The Gospel of Luke has it six times. And the book of Acts contains it six times. Outside of that, most of the books of the New Testament never use this word, kaluo, which means to hinder or hindrance. 
Luke is the one who uses it many times more than anybody else. A total of 12 times in his two books, Luke and Acts. And when he uses this book, this word kaluo, he's talking about the potential kaluos, the potential hindrances that face both Jesus, his disciples, and the New Testament church. And throughout the book of Acts, what Luke is telling us there is that wherever there is a hindrance, the New Testament church pushed through it. They refused to allow potential hindrances to keep them from doing what God called them to do. That's called commitment. It defined the New Testament church. It must define you and your life with Christ and mine as well. Secondly, commitment is necessarily difficult. It's necessarily difficult. If you have joined the Christian walk, if you have invited Christ into your life thinking that once you receive Christ, everything is going to be like eating cotton candy and pie in the sky by and by, my friend, you've missed it. You and I have missed it if that's what we think the Christian life is. The Christian life is defined by commitment and commitment is necessarily difficult. Someone correctly said that hardships are normal in God's work and they are usually bigger than we are able to overcome by ourselves. This person says, too often we assume that obstacles are God's ways of closing a door, as if God would never call us to do anything hard. But yet, obstacles do not tell us that God is not in our work. They are an indication that God does not want us to give up. They are the hurdles through which God empowers us as He accomplishes His work. One of my favorite preachers, some of you are not going to like this, I realize, but one of my favorite preachers is a woman by the name of Barbara Brown Taylor. Barbara Brown Taylor said this in her book, Bread of Angels. She said this, quote, If Jesus were in charge of the average congregation, I figure there would be about four people left there on Sunday morning. And the chances are those four would be fooling themselves. She goes on to say Jesus would greet newcomers by saying, Are you absolutely sure you want to follow this way of life? It will take everything you have. It has to come before everything else that matters to you. Plenty of people have launched out on it without counting the cost. And as you can see, they are not here anymore. The other thing is, if you succeed, if you follow me, if you really follow me, it will probably get you killed. Why don't you go home and think it over? I would hate for you to get in over your head. Unquote. Commitment. LeBron James, the basketball champion, said, Commitment is a big part of what I am and what I believe. He said, How committed are you to winning? How committed are you to being a good friend, to being trustworthy, to being successful? How committed are you to being a good father, a good teammate, a good role model? There's that moment every morning when you look in the mirror, he says, and you ask yourself, are you committed or are you not, LeBron James? That's about basketball. And I realize these guys make mega millions on top of mega millions and every single uh, dollar of it over about five or ten dollars is more than they really deserve. But let me tell you, they're, they're making that kind of money and making these kind of statements about basketball. 
And if that is true about basketball, how much more is it true about our commitment to the Lord through our church? Commitment is necessarily difficult. Too many Christians have a commitment of convenience, Charles Stanley says. He says they'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and doesn't involve risk or rejection or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. And they forget this fact that triumph is try added to some umph. We're talking about commitment. Now let me say one final thing here about commitment. Commitment requires rigidity in purpose, flexibility in the process. Rigidity in purpose. What I mean by that is, is we, we look at what God's purpose for the church is and what God's purpose for your life is, and we, we cling to that purpose with rigidity. You cannot blow us off of it with an atomic bomb. That's rigidity in purpose. But as we move toward that purpose, we must be flexible. The Apostle Paul said in one place, he says, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. That's called flexibility. There are times when we may be headed in one direction and we think that in the accomplishment of our purpose, we're supposed to go to the, to, to the left direction, and God will say, no, the purpose is the same, but you're not going to the left, you've got to go to the right. One time the Apostle Paul thought for sure he was supposed to go preach in the province of Bithynia. But the book of Acts says that when he set out to go there, the Holy Spirit said no. His purpose of winning the lost and setting up and establishing churches was the same, but the method, the process of getting to that purpose had to change. He had to be flexible. And so on that line of thought, I want to talk to you just for, for a, a sentence or two about stubbornness. You see, commitment includes stubbornness, but stubbornness is not always commitment. Commitment has more to do with the end goal than with the interim methodology. I need to be stubbornly focused on the end goal, my purpose, but I do not need to be stubbornly inflexible in the method by which I get to that purpose. I need to be flexible because God will change our minds. He will change our courses. What we think is the course we need to take, God shows us it's not the course and we need to take another course. We must be flexible. Rigidity in purpose, flexibility in the process. In the early 1800s, Andrew Jackson was president of the United States. He turned out to be, for the rest of the 1800s, one of the most popular presidents. We don't hear or read that much about Andrew Jackson today, but all of the presidents throughout the 1800s were compared and contrasted to Andrew Jackson. And he turned out to be a capable general in battle, and he turned out to be a capable, in some ways, capable president of the United States. But his boyhood friends, and he had many friends as a boy, 
usually cantankerous boys because Andrew Jackson was cantankerous himself. His boyhood friends were always surprised as adults at the success that Andrew Jackson enjoyed. They couldn't believe it. How in the world could this Andrew Jackson that we knew and we grew up with uh, in, in Tennessee, how in the world could he have become such a great general and such a great president? They knew of other men who had greater talent but had never succeeded. One of Jackson's friends said this. He says, why, why Jim Brown, who lived down the pike from Jackson, was not only smarter, but he could throw Andy three times out of four in a wrestling match. They called him Andy, and he liked to wrestle. And they said, Jim Brown could throw Andy three times out of four in a wrestling match. But look where Andy is, and look where Jim Brown is. And somebody was sitting there listening to what this guy said. Jim Brown was able to throw Andy three times out of four, and the person said, well, what happened on the fourth time? He threw him three times out of four when he was wrestling, but what about the fourth time? Didn't they usually say three times and out? Well, sure, that's what they were supposed to do, he said. But Andy, he would never admit that he'd been beat. He would never stay throwed, he said. Jim Brown would finally get tired after throwing Andy Jackson the first three times. And on the fourth try, Andy Jackson would throw Jim Brown and would be declared the winner. That's what some of his friends said about Andrew Jackson. Listen, you don't have to be the best person in the world. You don't have to have the best pedigree, the best college degree. You don't have to have the most squeaky clean background in the world. But let me tell you what it does take in life. Aside from a relationship with Christ, which is first and foremost, the next thing you need, if you really want to be effective in your Christian life, in your spiritual life, and in our church, is you, you must refuse to stay throwed. You've got to be committed. You've got to be stubbornly committed to the end purpose while you are always flexible with regard to the interim process. I don't know if you realize it or not. I don't know that I fully realize it. But our church has decisions to make. In fact, moving this church will require commitment that often will go counter to your and my natural inclinations. What I'm inclined to do, I'm going to find that God is leading me opposite to, in some cases. And you too. And commitment will be necessary. It'll be necessary, ladies and gentlemen. And you, any of you, any of us, can opt out if you choose. It's your choice. You can opt out. You can go to the next church, or you can opt out of church. You you know, if you and I, if I don't get my way, I can opt out. I can. But my question to you and me is this. Listen to this. When it comes time for the battle, and we have weighed the cost of commitment. Do you remember this question? How many of us will be left?
Will you be left? Will you show up? Will you be counted? The one thing the church needs today that she is so deficient in is commitment. Do me a favor. And I'll do this too because I'm as, I'm as guilty of this and I'm, I'm no, no more immune to, to this than you are. Lay down your consumerism. Throw it out the dumpster and roll it out to the curb and let waste management pick it up and come to Palmetto Baptist not with a consumerism mentality but with a mentality of I'm committed, I'm here for the long haul. That's going to be hard. But if you and I are not in it for the long haul, we're just consumers. We're just consumers. Let's pray. Our Father, strip us of our consumerism and fill us with commitment. Fill us with a stick-to-it attitude that will not let you go, will not let our church go, will not let the direction you've called us to go. Lord, there are folks here, I'm sure, who need to dedicate themselves to commitment to you and to your church. Not to agree with everything the church does, nor what the leadership says, but commitment to you and commitment to your church. And Lord, I pray for those who have never invited Christ to be their Savior. Lord, that they would make the decision today to invite you into their lives, to repent of their sin and trust you for their salvation. I pray for those who need to come and join this church for baptism. I pray for those who need to transfer their membership here. I pray for those who have some other commitment they need to make that's beyond anything I know. Lord, may this invitation be a time of life change. In Jesus' name, amen.